Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 170. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me, as usual, is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. What a horrible night to have a curse. We are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So we have a bunch of game impressions, we have a little bit of news, and then we have this week's big topic, which is all about Final Fantasy. However, before we get to that, let us start things off by discussing a new update to one of the Switch's biggest games. I'm talking about the version 3.0 update to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and along with it, the new playable character of Joker. Oh, they named it after you. I thought it was uh, Batman's enemy, but (laughs) turns out, no, it's actually not. (laughs) Yeah, that would be weird. You know, Meta Knight, he's sort of a Batman, so it kind of makes sense. But uh, no, it is Joker from Persona 5, and really, I don't have much of a history with Persona, and especially not with Persona 5, but I have grabbed the character and started playing with him a little bit. I played through Classic Mode and uh, fought my way through that, and I've been checking out his moves. And uh, yeah, he seems like a pretty fun character so far. Yeah, he has a really cool aesthetic. Yeah, very stylish. Is there anything else you can tell me besides what I've seen in the screenshots? Well, probably not a whole lot, but I'm finding his neutral special, his gun, and his side special, which is a projectile attack, to be his two most useful moves right off the bat. Hmm. I mean, his neutral special, the gun, isn't very strong and it doesn't have very long range, which is kind of weird considering, you know, it's a gun. (laughs) It's also kind of weird that he even has a gun at all, since they've kind of avoided guns with almost every character. I mean, even Solid Snake doesn't use a gun. Yeah, it is kind of weird. But uh, whatever, this guy has a gun, and if you're playing as Kirby and you eat him, then Kirby has a gun too, which is completely insane. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. Yeah, that that went against like everything I believed in. (laughs) Yeah, so Kirby's got a gun and Joker's got a gun. And uh, yeah, I found those to be the most initially most useful moves. His down special is the Rebel's Guard, which fills his rebellion gauge. And, you know, I'm not really an expert when it comes to countering, so that's not that useful for me but i can imagine in the hands of a skilled player it would be very very handy and then his up special is a grappling hook and of course you have to have you know some very specific positioning to be able to use that properly so i haven't really found that one to be particularly useful so far Hmm. of course when that rebellion gauge does fill up you get the addition of arson who then stands beside you and you know continues to fight along with you until the gauge runs out and that upgrades your move so you get a more high-powered gun you get a stronger projectile, and then you get wings instead of the grappling hook, which, I don't know, that's kind of weird because it goes from an offensive maneuver to just a plain defensive maneuver. And then you also have an enhanced counterattack for your down special. So I've mostly been relying on the neutral and the side special as well as, you know, just regular standard attacks. But I'm sure the more I play as him, the more I'll be able to figure out how to best use his other moves. Also, his final smash, the all-out attack that brings in the other Persona characters, that just looks really cool. It has a great effect on the screen. And, of course, it's just great for inflicting tons of damage on your enemy. Also, along with the character himself, you get the Memento stage, which is also you know very stylish, very cool looking. The colors in it change based on the music. You know, there's, like, vehicles going by. And, I mean, again, since I don't play the Persona games or haven't, yeah, I don't really understand what's going on here and why the walls are closing <laughs> in. But again, it just all looks really, really cool and is a fun stage to play in. So did you buy the Game Pass for uh, Smash Brothers? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, one way or the other, I'm definitely going to want all the content that's in this game. So might as well just go all in, buy the Season Pass, get Rex's costume and you know have everything else. And that way it's just you know ready and there for me as it rolls out over the course of the next year. I have yet to pull the trigger on it. I really want to, but I just, 
haven't done it yet, but I kind of figured at this point we would at least know the next character that's coming out. Yeah, you would think that after releasing Joker, they would probably tell us what the next one is, but not quite yet. I imagine it'll happen soon, but uh, yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't had a ton of time to play with him yet, but I am enjoying what he is so far. Although I have to say, more than anything else, it really makes me want to know more about the game that he's from. So, Atlas, if you aren't about to announce Persona 5 for Switch already, you should totally get off your butts and do it. Yeah, seems weird that they didn't tie that into the launch of this, but, uh, you know, maybe they got their own thing going on. Yeah, I suppose so. I still kind of expect they'll announce it very soon, but we shall see. We shall see. Also, in addition to the stage, in addition to the character, there are also a bunch of new spirits associated with Joker. I mean, that was something that we kind of expected as the new characters were going to come out, but it's good to see it confirmed. It's also really convenient that you can just fight them pretty much any time from the spirit menu if you have purchased the DLC. Oh, right. Yeah, that's definitely a nice addition. Uh, 11 music tracks as well. That's all very funky, very different. Uh, it's a completely different sound from what you've come to expect from the stuff that's included in Smash Brothers so far. So, yeah, cool, creative, and pretty much a love letter to Persona, as best I can tell. I'm used to Sakurai doing that for Nintendo characters, but doing it for a DLC character that's currently exclusive to the competition, that's kind of unprecedented. Sweet. Can't wait to give it a try. Now, there's also other new stuff released alongside Joker. You know, there's this entire version 3.0 update. There's also some new Mii Fighter costumes. There are actually six new costumes. Some of them are from Persona. There's a Morgana hat. There's a Teddy hat. There's an outfit for the protagonist from Persona 3 and from Persona 4. And then uh, Tails and Knuckles from the Sonic the Hedgehog series are all out there. (laughs) And these are 75 cents each. They are not included with the season pass. Oh. And it's like, man, I already paid 25 bucks for the season pass. That's kind of a lot of money. I would kind of have expected these to be included, but uh, nope, no such luck. So there might be content that you're not going to buy. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that. I'm still probably going to you know, buy everything. I'm just not going to be so happy about oh, it. Oh, look at you yeah. doubling down on the payments. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be like, you know, 450 for these costumes or something. Yeah, it does feel like the kind of nickling and diming suckers like me. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I want to have the full, complete game. I got to do what I got to do, I suppose. I feel you. But, yeah, much better than that is this new stage builder. You just sort of draw with the touchscreen, or you can use conventional controls if you like. And there are all kinds of options that are in there. You, know, you can make multiple layers, like a foreground and a background, in addition to the actual fighting stage. You can put in a whole bunch of hazards. You can rotate things. You can put in wind. You can put in lava-type surfaces. You can even put in warp gates that send you from one side of the arena to the other. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's uh, plenty of cool stuff. I haven't experimented with it too much. I just fooled around a little bit. Hopefully, eventually, I can make something cool, but it hasn't happened just yet. Do you think you could make a level in honor of Mr. T? (laughs) You know, I probably could. Let me think about that. I'll see if I can put something together. (laughs) But yeah, if I do, then I could share with everybody, because that's another really great feature, is that you can share all your stages. You can also share any Mii Fighters that you create. And, you know, I went... Online last night, I was taking a look at stuff, and man, at this point, early on, it's just a mess. There are some cool things, and then there's also just like a lot of wieners. Like, literally, <laughs> people just making wieners for the stages, and Nintendo has not erased them yet. So, you know, hopefully those will be <laughs> flushed out soon, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, there is some crappy stuff out there at the moment. <laughs> yeah, a few wiener stages goes a long way. Yeah, one thing that... I wish was different about the stage builder is that 
everything you create sort of has you know almost a uh, Yoshi's Crafted World kind of aesthetic to it. Like everything has a very specific texture depending on what the color is. And so if you want to like make something that looks like say you know, a city or a castle, it's really hard to do. If you want to make something that just has like, oh, a grassy texture or a sandy texture, then that's easy. But making something that really looks like what you want to make, still a little bit tricky. So, Hmm. you know, I would really like some more better aesthetic options for the stage builder. Hey, but the price was right, right, buddy? (laughs) Yep, that is true. Nice free edition, that's for sure. Yeah, there's also a video editor in there that lets you splice and edit and caption saved videos. I have not done anything with that yet, but I imagine people will be able to do some really cool stuff with that once they get the hang of it. Cool. Uh, have you uh, had a chance to check out any of this stuff yet? I haven't, but it did update on my Switch and I'm uh, ready to play it probably after this. All right. Sounds good. I guess the other thing to keep in mind is the new Smash World content from the Nintendo Switch Online app. That will show you recommended videos and stages. It'll also let you do things like edit your spirit teams even when you're not actively playing the game. I haven't had a chance to check that out yet. I'm not even sure if it's fully active. They said it was going to roll out shortly after the 3.0 update went out there. But uh, I suppose that could be uh, nice and handy as well. Yeah, I'm actually checking it out right now. Oh, all right. Very cool. I'll have to do so as well. Now, of course... Maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's not, but in addition to this new content coming out for Smash Brothers, just a couple of days ago, we also saw the release of a few new Smash Brothers Amiibo. Amiibo! Oh, man. I bet that tickled your fancy. Oh, yes, you better believe it. Yeah, so I got all those, naturally. I have Ken, I have Daisy, and then there's also Young Link. And Ken, he's got a great pose. It's a really good representation of the character. The wrinkles in the cloth are done really, really well. The face is spot on. just looks like his gi is flowing in the wind. Some of the paint around the hands on my amiibo is a little bit messy, which is kind of unusual for an amiibo. Usually they're really nice and tidy and very, very clean. Mm. But other than that, it's pretty great. Daisy is my favorite one of this batch. She is super detailed. It's considerably smaller than the Super Mario Daisy Amiibo, but this one is just so much better. It's a much more dynamic pose. There are multiple pleated layers on her dress and just tons of little patterns and really impressive level of detail everywhere on her garment. Just, you know, all over the place. Even the sleeves are really detailed and, you know, they're like, you know, even more sculpted details in her hair compared to the previous Amiibo. Mm. So, yeah, she just got, you know, the whole deluxe treatment, so to speak. And unlike the Super Mario one, she actually has shoes and feet. (laughs) Nice. She's probably happy about that. Now, I can't tell you if you pull off her hair, if she has a third eye hidden underneath (laughs) there or not, but uh, I'm guessing she probably does. Yeah, totally. And then, last but not least, is Young Link. Or maybe it is least, because he's kind of the least exciting. We already did have a very solid representation of Young Link from the Majora's Mask Amiibo. But even so, this has a really great dynamic action-oriented pose, good-looking face, lots of nice details on his sword and his sheath, and a cool wood texture on the shield. Also, it's nice that the sword is actually straight, which can sort of be a problem with some of the sword-wielding amiibo. And uh, also, you know, you get a good opportunity to see what's under Link's skirt, if you've ever been curious about that sort of thing. Hmm. <laughs> Come on, I know you've wondered. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a very solid Amiibo lineup this time. You know, they're all Echo Fighter type of characters, so to speak, but that doesn't really make them any less impressive as Amiibo. So I am very happy with all three of them. Every time I see Young Link written down, I want to say, You're much too young, Link. Okay, well, I will keep that in mind, Pete. <laughs> Please don't run that. How can I not? <laughs> anyway, Super Smash Brothers is not the only game I've been playing. It's actually been pretty crazy how many intriguing new releases have come out in just the last handful of few days. Yeah, what's going on with that? I don't know. It's like we're having Christmas in the middle of April. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I know. It's like every week I'm like, uh, should I buy this or should I like wait for the onslaught of more games that are coming out next week? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's just a ton of stuff right now. And so the other game that has been taking up a lot of my time is Final Fantasy X and X-2 HD Remaster, mm-hmm. which brings us these games on Switch for the first time. Yeah, and, and how are they? I mean, I haven't really played Ten too much, but I have in the past. How is it? Well, of course, we're going to be getting around to you know talking a lot more Final Fantasy later on in the show. But yeah, these are both really, really good games. And you know, Final Fantasy X, if you have not played it, it starts out pretty crazy. Like, you know, at first, you're in this modern city, and your main character is like the sports player, and you kind of start to think, well, maybe it is Final Fantasy X for extreme or something. <laughs> you know, just, you know, doing like this underwater soccer game called Blitzball, and then suddenly things can even get more extreme. And without spoiling anything, you are suddenly transported from your futuristic city to a very different place, and the story ends up taking a very different turn and things become you know sort of melancholy hmm. the main character titus or his name is probably pronounced something else in japanese but i'm just going to call him titus because that's how it looks to me anyway he's like sort of kind of you know a bit cool and dude bro almost to the point of being dorky <laughs> but you know despite that you know he goes through a lot of evolution throughout the story and it's a very interesting setup and of course you meet other characters along the way such as yuna who ends up being titus's love interest and you join her and go on a quest to defeat the evil creature known as sin mm-hmm. so the story holds up the graphics hold up really really well and the music is absolutely beautiful i mean in the grand scheme of things this game isn't that old right well it came out like in 2001 i think so it actually is more than 15 years old but it's a playstation 2 game and you know like something like onimusha it does hold up rather well wow the gameplay is interesting though because it's like a total throwback you know it seems that with every final fantasy game things get more and more advanced but this one sort of takes things back it is pure turn-based menu-based like the earliest final fantasy games you can swap in different characters and different weapons. But, you know, as Final Fantasy has become more action-focused over time, this is just absolutely the direct opposite. However, the leveling and skill systems are very experimental. You don't gain levels through experience points. You earn AP to move around this thing called a sphere grid, and then you spend items to boost specific stats. And it's all done manually. And it can be kind of confusing, and it's probably my least favorite thing about the game. And also, this version has two sphere grids, a normal one and an advanced one, which allows for even more customization than in the original game. I just stuck with normal because it's been such a long time since I played the game and I really don't remember you know, how to best utilize it. But uh, yeah, that's interesting that's in there for uh, veteran players. Also, I'm not positive, but I think this was probably the first Final Fantasy game without an overworld. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's a really good game. It's very polished. As I implied, I have not played it in years, so it's sort of a you know fresh experience for me since I've forgotten most of it. 
It's never been my favorite Final Fantasy, but it is an excellent RPG, and I am really enjoying playing through it again. Then, to go along with that, there is Final Fantasy X 2, and it is almost the complete opposite of Final <laughs> Fantasy X. Right. Aren't you like a girl band or something? <laughs> kind of. That's what it seems like at the beginning. But yeah, you know, 10 was sort of serious and methodical. And 10-2 is just very upbeat. It's goofy. And yes, it does start in the middle of this pop concert. And your all-girl team jumps in, sort of uh, interrupts this concert because, well, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, there's a reason for it. It does make sense within the story. Can you really spoil something that's uh, 18 years old? And also two minutes into the game? Uh, no, not really, but I'm still <laughs> going to keep it a secret. Anyway, the traditional leveling up is back in this game, and so are the active time battles from the past Final Fantasy games. Oh. Only even faster paced and more active than ever. There are only three main party members this time, and like you said, they're all girls. And the gameplay hook this time is the Dress Sphere, which allows you to change costumes at almost any time, which is sort of this game's version of the job system. And, you know, there's stuff that's normal, like Thief and Swordswoman and Gunfighter, and also silly stuff, like a singer. This version also adds a creature creator mode that wasn't in the original version, but was in other HD versions of the game. Yeah. And you get access to this almost right from the beginning, and it allows you to recruit and train various enemies and monsters and use them in your party. And I haven't had a chance to use it much yet, but I feel like it might be kind of unnecessary because the dress sphere system worked so well in the original. Mm. But still, as a veteran, it does give me something completely new and the chance to experience something different from the original. So I guess for that, I will say it is a welcome inclusion. I do remember this game sort of got some negative reactions when it first came out. Like People are like, oh, it's too silly, it's too girly, stuff like that. But the gameplay is really, really fun. The story ends up being really satisfying as a follow-up to the original Final Fantasy X. And in most respects, I actually like this game better than Final Fantasy X. But you probably do want to finish that game first if you want to appreciate this game's story. Uh, all right. Anyway, yeah, I am greatly enjoying both these games. If you have not played them before absolutely check them out now i might need to one word of warning though although this probably doesn't apply to you pete even though i got the physical version be warned only final fantasy 10 is on the game card you still have to download 10 2 and man it is a very hefty download so make sure you have plenty of space on that memory card and where is your save file exactly in case i want to delete it <laughs> see this is why i pay for cloud backup on nintendo switch online <laughs> now pete I understand that you've been playing an interesting new Switch release as well, right? Yeah, that's right. I've actually been playing Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Okay, cool. Now, I know almost nothing about this game except for the screenshots I've seen. It looks absolutely gorgeous, but beyond that, I don't know anything. So tell me what this game is about and if it is any good. Yeah, I didn't know anything about this game either, except for the fact that, uh, you know, it just came out for Switch, and I happened to do a Wikipedia search, and I saw that it actually has been around for a while. I guess it came out for Windows and PlayStation 4 in 2017. Oh, okay. And then there's been an Xbox One version in April 2018, and yeah, now there's this version. Okay, so what kind of game is it? Well... I mean, gameplay-wise, I'm going to say it's very similar to something like, uh, I don't know, a God of War uh, 4. You know, your traditional over-the-shoulder kind of third-person view, Resident Evil 4 style. Okay, so a typical 3D action-adventure hack-and-slash kind of game? Correct. However, you know, I'd say for the first easily maybe 30 minutes of the game, you don't fight anyone. 
right? So I wasn't I wasn't actually sure what the gameplay was beyond just kind of walking around. What makes this game kind of unique is that it's got this whole concept of psychological kind of action adventure going on. And even at the beginning, when you turn the game on, there's actually this warning about psychosis and the fact that they are kind of doing things that are similar to what someone who is suffering from psychosis might feel. Okay. And that sounds really creepy, I know, but... This is like Eternal Darkness or something where they're like playing weird tricks on you? You know, it's funny because it does have... I, I, I actually did think of Eternal Darkness because there was kind of that element. But basically... What you're doing is while you're, you know, performing your acts, in the very beginning you start in like a canoe and you're heading back into this area that I guess got wiped out by something and you're not really sure. Okay. But the story is kind of driven by these voices you hear and you just kind of hear these like whispers. Some are clear, some are faint, and they're kind of coming in all different angles. So like one sounds like it's really close in your ear. I don't know if you've ever listened to like ASMR recordings, but it's very similar to something like that where you can literally get the sense that this person is like whispering into a microphone, but it gives you kind of the heebie-jeebies because there are like, you know, little like words said that you're like, wait, what was that? What did I just hear? Is there any gameplay purpose for all that? Well, yes. The story actually is told through all that and you actually have no like map. You have no inventory, which sounds bizarre for a game of that style, but there's just nothing like that going on. You're essentially being told what's going on in the narrative through these like random pieces of dialogue later in the game you start to get hallucinations of another person that like was in your life at some point and they're actually told by these sort of like in-game hallucinations that are actually and i couldn't tell this at first but i had to figure this out they're actually shot on video so it's actually like an actor which i know sounds usually really cheesy but the way it's done (laughs) yes it can be the way it's done in this game and so seamlessly it actually it it took me a minute to figure out that it was someone actually acting Hmm. as opposed to you know motion capture and stuff just to take a step back this game is really pretty and on switch it's probably one of the prettiest games i've seen on it yeah, that's been my takeaway so far. That's like the one thing I knew about the game is like, wow, this looks really impressive. And I was wondering if it really did look as impressive in motion as it does in screenshots. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, so far I've gotten to a boss. You definitely do at some point get, you know, attacked and you kind of draw your sword whenever enemies come out. There's some simple swordplay mechanics. You basically kind of Z-target on a certain enemy automatically. Okay. And then you get sort of a light attack, a heavy attack, like sort of a physical attack. It's like a kick usually. Mm -hmm. And then you can block with your sword. And then you can also like evade. And I haven't really figured out how evade works so much. They don't really give you much of a tutorial at all. And you start getting your butt whooped almost instantaneously. I guess you need to pay more attention to those whispers then. Maybe they'll tell you what to do. (laughs) Did you say whispers or whiskers? Uh, either one, really. <laughs> but there is a pause menu, so you can look and see what the controls are. It's not like you're completely in the dark, but it took me a minute to figure that out. Okay. So mainly the only puzzles that I've seen in the game are, it's kind of interesting, right? You get to a gate and you'll see these like symbols on the gate. And then you have to kind of walk around the area you're in to find these symbols in objects in the level, in the environment. Okay. And you kind of know when you're getting close because there's like some symbols gibberish that shows up in the area that it is but it's pretty cool i think it's an interesting mechanic right you find like a branch that's like in an angle and then you find a tree that makes the connector so you have to find the right perspective kind of similar to i guess like breath of the wild where you're trying to find your memory 
Ah, okay. You kind of have to think about it and go, okay, how can I get this thing to look like that? And then that essentially will unlock the gate you're looking for. And then one other crazy mechanic in this game that I haven't really figured out yet is that you have a limited number of deaths. And it doesn't tell you how many. And I think Hmm. that once, I mean, it tells you in the game, once you die enough times, you literally, your game is over and you have to start from scratch. Mm, permadeath huh? so i'm Great. like terrified of that happening i really don't want it to happen because i hate permadeath <laughs> the way it's told is essentially you kind of get this like darkness in your hand and each time you die it spreads up your arm and eventually to your brain and once it gets to your brain you're done mm-hmm. great so i still have the darkness below the elbow which i'm thankful for but uh anyways all right definitely sounds interesting but you're liking the game so far do you recommend it yeah, I actually really do recommend it. I've tried it on both TV and handheld, and it really does hold up really well. There are a couple areas where you can definitely tell the draw distance is being, like, you know, sacrificed. It's not maybe Turok bad, but it, it's, <laughs> it's there, and you can kind of tell. But for the most part, it's not really something that's even acknowledged. And I constantly marvel at how pretty the game is. And then there's moments where it kind of jumps into a cutscene, and you really can't tell the difference between what's controllable versus what isn't. All right, very cool. I would love to check it out. Sounds very interesting. Yeah, totally worth it. And I believe it's only uh, $29.99, which is a pretty good price for a game of that nature. Yep, that is correct. Although I have heard that it's not super long. So I'm okay with that, but uh, just kind of throwing that out there. All right, definitely something to keep in mind. Now, another game I've been playing recently, albeit only for just a little tiny bit, is the Nintendo Labo VR. Oh, so you've looked in the bird's butt? (laughs) I have not looked in any bird's butts. In fact, I have really only fooled around a little bit in the area called the VR Plaza, which is popular by only the simplest VR games, and you're playing them with just the headset, you know, maybe one Joy-Con and none of the other Toy-Cons. I haven't tried any of those things out. All I have done is put the Switch into the cardboard, you know, slapped the goggles on it, and then just sort of looked around and played some of the very, very basic games. There's like a fishing game where you try to you know, use this little claw to pick up some little doodads. There's a shooting game where I'm just shooting at stuff. I don't even really know what I'm shooting at. Can they shoot back? I don't know. <laughs> There's a hamburger making game where you're just making burger ingredients fall out of the sky and they just look very, very primitive. Like, oh, here is a rectangle to represent some meat. Here's a circle <laughs> to represent some tomato or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the most attractive game. And then there was a tilt maze where I basically just had to look down and tilt my head along with the hardware to move these marbles around into a goal. The one that was the most interesting of the ones I played was called Big Book. <laughs> and there is indeed just this big book that's there. And it's got a lock on it. And you try to you know maneuver this key around to open up the book. And you know, I'm sorry if this spoils things for people, but once you do get the key in there... I think it tells you like to turn around. And so I, you know, I literally turned around (laughs) and certainly it does have this whole, you know, perspective thing. It has a full 3D environment, even if what's going on there isn't the most exciting. Anyway, so I turn around after unlocking this book and this terrifying looking thing just like pops into frame (laughs) and just freaked the crap out of me like some sort of Five Nights at Freddy's reject. (laughs) And all that's all it does. You unlock the book and this thing shows up and just, freaks you out they're like ah geez and then you turn around again the other direction and something else pops up and totally freaked me out i'm really sad i wasn't there to witness that (laughs) you probably would have enjoyed it tremendously pete that almost seems like it'd be worth it just to like you know play pranks on people 
<laughs> yeah, it probably would be. Yeah, all these games I've played, you know, very, very basic. They haven't really sold me on the thing so far. But yeah, it really does give you a feeling of 3D space. And uh, yes, there can be some uh, interesting things to discover when you're fooling around with it. <laughs> I will say that the view is pretty blurry and low res. But, uh, you know, I guess if you're on a budget and you want to get some VR, this is a way to do it. I, I will also say that, yes, my arms did get tired after holding this thing up to my face <laughs> after just a couple of minutes. So, you know, really quickly I was like, you know, resting my elbows on a hard surface and kind of looking down that way. But that only works, you know, so well for certain games. So, you know, I feel like I just barely scratched the surface of this thing. I definitely want to play more, especially some of those more involved games and put together some of those other toy cons. But I don't know. Right now, I have a very, very mixed opinion of this Nintendo Labo VR. Uh, hopefully it gets better as I see some of the more advanced stuff. Are you sure that minigame wasn't called Big Old Book? Sorry, it was not. <laughs> just the big book of horror. <laughs> Uh, moving on, another game I've also just played a little bit of because it just came out really a couple hours ago as we're recording this, and that is Cuphead, available now on Switch. Oh man, yes, I've downloaded it as well. I just haven't been able to play it yet. Yeah, I've only been able to play a few levels so far, like five levels or something like that. And so far, it is pretty much what I expected from what I had seen and heard, and that's pretty much a good thing. Yeah. I mean, yes. The game is absolutely beautiful. It is a gorgeous run and gun with incredibly animated cell-based graphics. It's very expressive. It's very cartoony. The enemies just change and morph right before your eyes, usually into something crazy and screen filling and sort of threatening. Uh, which brings me to the other point about the game is that, yes, it is very hard. It is just as challenging as I had heard. It's quite unforgiving. You can only take a couple of hits. And there are no mid-level checkpoints. There are basically two kinds of levels to play through, the run-and-gun action levels and the boss battles. Either way, you are probably going to have to practice, especially if you want to get through a stage with a high score. Cool. I look forward to the challenge. Now, the good news, though, is the controls are great. They're very responsive. You can dash and parry while jumping in addition to just the regular jumping and shooting. The parry seems cool since it lets you bounce off of enemies and projectiles, but it only works on things that are colored pink. So it'll definitely take me some practice to get it figured out how to best use that against, you know, what particular situations. The result of these responsive controls, though, is that even though the game is hard, it usually feels really fair. And if I fail, it's like, oh, well, that's because I did something dumb. The only exception to that was this one part where I was moving across these collapsing platforms, and then this mini boss popped out in front of me, and I just sort of jumped right into him and died <laughs> instead of realizing, oh, I actually could go back. And that felt a little bit cheap. But for the most part, the game does feel very fair, despite its high challenge level. Cool. Anyway, like I said, it is very much living up to my expectations so far. I am very much looking forward to playing more of it, but so far, very much worth the $20. Yeah, I'm excited to try that one uh, co-op. Yeah, I have not had a chance to play two-player at all, but that should be very, very fun as well. Cool. Now, Pete, there is one other semi-new release that we kind of wanted to talk about last week, but we sort of ran out of time, and that is the new NES games available for Nintendo Switch Online. Those being Punch-Out, Super Mario Brothers, The Lost Levels, Star Soldier, and, as we predicted, Kid Icarus SP. Oh, indeed. Have you been playing those? And if so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've pretty much played everything except for uh, Star Soldier. Yeah, I've never been a big Star Soldier fan. I don't really remember if I ever played that back in the day. It kind of seems 
okay. <laughs> you know, maybe a little bit generic. Maybe after I play it some more, I'll kind of realize, oh, there is some really cool depth to this. But so far, I'm not too blown away. Uh, as far as that one goes. But yeah, the other ones are certainly quite impressive. Yeah, I got to be honest. The first thing I did was play the Kid Icarus SP. You know, I might have as well. <laughs> and I forgot just how so like awesome that last level is and how different it is from the rest of the game. Yeah, you get to use your wings and actually fly. Yeah, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, it becomes a shoot 'em up for the last level. <laughs> yep, pretty much. But yeah, that's what the SP version is. Start on the last level, start with all the power-ups, start with uh, pretty much a full inventory, and try to fight your way to Medusa. Yep, and I did it, and <laughs> I even saved a video of myself doing it. I think there's like a little trick to beating Medusa where you just kind of can stay in one spot and never die. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you have to be a little careful, but yeah, there's a little secret. You go to, like, to the back of the screen, and you uh, kind of hang out right across from the eye, and you can usually avoid pretty much everything that comes your way. But awesome nonetheless. Love seeing the ending of Kid Icarus like that, especially since the codes don't work. Yeah, for sure. So pretty cool addition. Yes, definitely. You know, I played through it a couple of times, and I noticed that the first time it took me considerably longer to get to Medusa than I did the second time. Is there some trick to how many times it loops? Do you have to do something special to be able to get to fight the boss? Huh. You know, if there is, I've completely forgot about it. But uh, yeah, you might be right. Okay, well, I'll have to look into it further. Of course, another one of the games I've spent plenty of time with is indeed Punch-Out. We <laughs> talked about this one a whole bunch last week, so I guess there's not a whole lot more to add, except, I mean, it's kind of bad. It's the Mr. Dream version and not the Mike Tyson version, but, you know, what you're going to do? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I picked this one up and started playing it. Using save states, obviously, I got to uh, Mr. Sandman. Oh, nice, nice. I've played through the minor and major circuits. I can practically do those in my sleep. But after I get there, I kind of don't really remember the patterns for the world circuit that much. So uh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, Mr. Sandman's handing me my booty, though, but... <laughs> yeah, he is definitely tough, as is Macho Man. Yeah. As is Mr. Dream. <laughs> exactly. Well, good luck. It was kind of funny, though, to see uh, Mike Tyson going on Twitter like he just noticed for the first time that he wasn't in the game. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, he was very confused, I think. <laughs> yeah he's like what why am i not in punch it it's like dude you haven't been in there since like 1990 or something i gotta tell you you know you know what my saddest moment recently was realizing that king hippo wasn't blue <laughs> well no actually i realized that i'm like older than like all of the characters in punch out <laughs> like, i never thought i'd be older than soda popinski i'm devastated well if it makes you feel any better i'm pretty sure there are still characters in super punch out that are older than you <laughs> need a hook <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Uh, and then we have Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels, actually the original Super Mario Brothers 2. And, you know, I remember this game being, like, super, super hard. And I haven't played a ton yet, but I actually got through all of World 1 without dying. So, uh, yay me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's better than me. I definitely do a save state at the end of each level just to make sure that <laughs> I don't get wiped out. And Oh, I did that, too, just in case. I definitely died quite a bit, but, uh, you know. I was also trying to, like, explore all the pipes. and See, I don't do that because I know that if you, like, go in the wrong pipe, you end up being, like, sucked backwards to, like, <laughs> earlier in the game. Yeah. So it kind of pays just to, to play it, you know, straight and narrow. Don't try to go too far off the beaten path. Otherwise, you might end up in a warp pipe taking you back to World 1. Be careful. Yeah, I actually went in one and uh, hit a block and a mushroom came out and it was blue. Oh, yeah. But I just figured it was the color of the level whatever. And sure enough, <laughs> it killed me. Nope. Poison mushrooms. Son of a gun. Gotta watch out for those. 
yeah, I don't know how much I'm really going to play this game, but it is a welcome addition. I'm glad to finally have this. I don't think I have the actual 8-bit NES version in any other form right. except for the one that's included in Super Mario Brothers Deluxe right. on Game Boy Color. So, yeah, I'm glad to finally have it. Yeah, it is a really cool addition, especially, you know, for people that haven't played it and, you know, people that are into the original Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers that, you know, never had access to this one. Going by my memory, though, it will get really frustrating before too long. So, again, thank goodness for those save states. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it is a good job that Nintendo didn't release this in the U.S. I feel like it might have gotten a <laughs> lot of people really angry. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, if you compare the two Super Mario Brothers 2s, the American one and the Japanese one, I definitely prefer the American SMB2. I can totally see why they went that way. Plus, Toad is a playable character. I mean, come on. That's what I said. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> all right that takes care of our impressions for this week why don't we discuss a little bit of news so first up in the news out today konami released their 50th anniversary collection featuring the arcade classics and i haven't had much of a chance to play that game yet but i'm looking forward to it however they also announced what's coming out in their next collection the castlevania anniversary collection it now has a release date of may 16th and they have now revealed the full lineup of games that will be included. So we'll be getting Castlevania II Simon's Quest, Castlevania Bloodlines from the Sega Genesis, Kid Dracula from the Famicom, and I don't believe that was ever released in the U.S. in this form before, and then Castlevania The Adventure from Game Boy. And that's in addition to the previously announced games, which were Castlevania 1, 3, 4, and Castlevania II Belmont's Revenge from Game Boy. So, Pete, what do you think of these additions? Is this a worthy lineup? Are you happy with it? Do you like it? I mean, to me, yes. This is kind of what I want from a Castlevania collection. It doesn't go beyond, you know, the Symphony of the Night era. It doesn't even go to that era. But no, for me, this is my, uh, you know, Castlevania childhood in a collection. Hmm. Well, for me, it's a little more mixed. I'm really happy to see Simon's Quest on there. I'm really happy to see Bloodlines on there because that hasn't been released in any form in, like, forever. Right. But Castlevania the Adventure is kind of terrible. <laughs> so it's like I would prefer almost any Castlevania game to that one. I mean, heck, even if they put in Castlevania 64, your personal favorite, <laughs> I would have been happier than getting Castlevania the Adventure. Now, see, I kind of ha have a soft spot for the Adventure because I own that on Game Boy, and I actually enjoyed it. Hmm, very strange. And then Kid Dracula, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious about it, but I would prefer something like Dracula X or, you know, especially Castlevania Rebirth. But anyway, uh, it's still getting, you know, two of the four I really wanted. So I'm fairly happy with this collection and how it's shaping out. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see Konami paying attention, seemingly. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll <laughs> see. But yeah, it comes out in about a month. I'm definitely going to pick it up. Yeah, at least they're acknowledging their old library. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, about a week ago, the folks over at Bandai Namco announced a new game coming to Switch as well. That is God Eater 3. It's going to hit the Switch on July 13th. Yeah, and when I first read about this one, I kept thinking of God Hand. <laughs> no, that's something totally different. I don't even know if I'm familiar with God Eater. Well, God Eater is a hack-and-slash action RPG. It was released a couple months ago on PlayStation 4 and PC. And in this game, you make a custom character, you wield a variety of weapons, and you are trying to save mankind from extinction against these creatures called Aragami. It's sort of a sci-fi, post-apocalyptic take on Monster Hunter, as best I can tell. Yeah, I mean, sign me up. Sounds fun. 
Now, supposedly this is going to have all the features of the PS4 and PC version, including eight-player online multiplayer, plus it's going to have some new features as well, such as four-player local co-op. I don't know if I'm actually going to pick this one up, but I'm certainly intrigued. It does look cool, and you know, I've never been able to really get hooked by Monster Hunter the way I want to. Maybe sort of a different company's take on the same formula will finally be the one that sort of does it for me. So I would love to give this one a shot. You never know. No, you don't. <laughs> but this is a random one. I mean, it is kind of surprising that this is coming out. Uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have pegged it for hitting Switch, but yet, here we are. Well, it's good to see the uh, library continues. Yeah, definitely. Also coming out this July, Nintendo has announced the next wave of Amiibo. So when Nintendo announces new Amiibo, what happens? Do you feel like a tickling in your beard before, you know? <laughs> or does like a, a carrier pigeon from Nintendo come and like tap at your window, bearing news of new Amiibo? Sadly, no. I have to find out about it the same time as everybody else. But then I do just sit by my computer, uh, refreshing Amazon and Best Buy <laughs> in the hopes of being able to pre-order the Amiibo as soon as possible. And uh, yes, I have pre-ordered these. The wave consists of Pichu... Isabel, and then the Pokemon trainer. So, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of uh, cute characters this time. I am surprised that we're not getting Pokemon trainer at the same time as Squirtle and Ivysaur. I thought that was sort of going to be how those were released, maybe even as a three-pack, but uh, nope, I guess not. Regardless, I am glad to see that these finally have release dates, and obviously, I will be picking all these up as soon as they are available. Now, if you had to guess, what, what do you think possesses Nintendo to release Amiibo at a certain order? Well, normally I would say it's, you know, based on whatever Reggie had for lunch, but uh, he's no longer there, so who knows now? Could be anything. Could be Bowser now. <laughs> Could be. Probably is. Anyway, that takes care of our news for this week. I guess that means we should uh, take an intermission. Uh, hold up there, buddy. Oh? Wait a second. I, I know this. <laughs> You've got something for me. This sounds very, very familiar. Uh... You're just going to have to tell me. What's going on, Pete? It's time to hassle the hop. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I should have seen that coming. All right, well, let's get this over with. What do you have for me this week? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? Which Final Fantasy has your favorite soundtrack? Really? That's that's the question? You're calling that <laughs> hassling the hop? Well, that's too easy, Pete. I mean, I was going to save that for our big topic coming up in a little bit. But uh, fine, I'll just answer it now. The answer, Final Fantasy VI. Also known as Final Fantasy III when it was released on Super Nintendo here. That was actually the very first game I ever bought a soundtrack to. I had never purchased any sort of gaming soundtrack up until that point, but uh, Square actually offered one available you know, through some uh, mail order process because that was really before they had online. I went ahead, I got it, and I never looked back. I was very, very happy with the purchase. It came on like, you know, three CDs. <laughs> Kefka's Domain, it was called. Right. But uh, yeah, it is a classic, and I still love it to this day. So yeah, I will say Final Fantasy VI is my all-time favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack, for sure. All right, I approve. Hmm. I don't know, Pete, that was that was hardly hassling me at all. I think I'm going to have to step up your game next time, you know. <laughs> that was more like tickling? Mm, something like that. <laughs> Anyway, regardless, now it is time for us to take an intermission, and then we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Final Fantasy.
All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Final Fantasy. If you've been paying attention, then you are probably aware that there have been a ton of Final Fantasy releases on Nintendo Switch recently. We just got Final Fantasy X and X-2, Final Fantasy VII and IX just came out a few weeks ago. We got that new Chocobo game, Final Fantasy XII is coming out very soon as well. So we figured, hey, this would be a great time to delve a little bit deeper into the series and discuss why it is such a significant franchise in video game history. So to start things out, Pete, I would like to talk about why we like Final Fantasy. What is it about this series that makes it so special? It's a good question. I mean, I honestly, it's hard to put your finger on, I think. Well, for me, I've always felt like it is on the cutting edge of RPGs. Like, it's always pushing the envelope just a little bit further than everybody else out there. Hmm. You know, you can go to something like Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest, whatever you want to call it, and it feels like it's kind of playing things very traditional and very safe. Right. But you look at Final Fantasy, and it always feels like it's trying to just go a little bit further with the graphics, with the music, with the gameplay. This was the series that introduced those active time battles that I enjoyed so much back in the 16-bit era, yep. and everybody else was just relying on traditional turn-based battles. It's always mixing things up with the job system, with various magic systems, and then, you know, it's not just strictly fantasy. Despite the title, it's not really just fantasy. There's a lot of sci-fi elements. There's a lot of steampunk elements. And it really goes a long way in creating some really interesting, compelling worlds that you really want to immerse yourself in. And you know, I think that's kind of where it all starts for me. Yeah, you're right. Each one, it definitely has its own like living, breathing world, and they really kind of explore all that. And I think you're spot on with the idea that they do kind of push the envelope on RPGs. And, you know, even like back in the Super Nintendo era, the Mode 7, and yeah, yeah all the way up until, uh, you know, the online version, even that was pushing the envelope for its time. Yeah, definitely. Then on top of that, it's just got, you know, some really great stories and really intriguing characters. It's pretty much like a who's who of best RPG characters out there. You know, you've got characters like Cloud, who, you know, have made their mark beyond Final Fantasy in Smash Brothers. Uh, Tifa is another one of my favorites. Terra from Final Fantasy VI. Celis, Edgar, the king with a chainsaw. <laughs> Kane and Rosa from Final Fantasy IV. Tella. Uh, Zidane from Final Fantasy IX, Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. I could just go on and on with all <laughs> these guys. And a lot of really great villains, too. You know, Kefka from Final Fantasy VI and yeah. Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII, in particular, are among the all-time greats. Yeah, absolutely. And who can forget Sid in any of the Final Fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> right, pretty much all the Final Fantasy games, yes. We've always got a Sid. But there's always uh, there's been a standout. I think Sid in Final Fantasy VI comes to mind. As being pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, he's good. I think I just liked his beard. <laughs> was that a beard? It was hard to tell with those little tiny sprites. <laughs> I don't know. I'm partial towards the one in Final Fantasy VII where I actually got to be a playable character on a rare occasion. So yeah, that's definitely my favorite version of Sid. I think the other thing that really stands out in my mind is the soundtrack. Yeah, for sure. The soundtrack for all the Final Fantasies has been, you know... Possibly, I mean, you mentioned this on Hassel the Hoff, but they've been some of the best in class, really. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, you know, give a big shout out to uh, Nobuo Oimatsu as well as everybody else who's been involved with these series. Yeah, like I said, you know, they really try to, you know, make it a standout series in every respect. And that certainly applies to the music as well. 
Yeah, even ever since the uh, title screen of the original on NES, they've continued that tradition. Yeah, that's definitely a classic. But yeah, speaking of which, you know, let us take ourselves back to the NES era and uh, discuss what Final Fantasy was all about back then and what those games meant to us. Yeah, definitely. Let's go. So if I'm being honest here, I do not think that the NES era of Final Fantasy was the best era of Final <laughs> Fantasy or anything like that. I mean, it was probably still a step above other RPGs at the time. But, you know, here in North America, we only got that first game. Right. And Square, you know, didn't even bring it out themselves. Nintendo brought it out. You know, much later, we did end up getting Final Fantasy II on Game Boy Advance, and then Final Fantasy III got a 3D remake on DS. But those two, Final Fantasy II and III, were originally NES, or should I say Famicom games, and we totally got those bypassed here in North America. So we really only had Final Fantasy I to judge the series on at that time, and you know it was pretty simple. Yeah. It was very archaic, but you know it did at least allow you to fully customize your party. You could select from multiple character classes, whether it's a warrior or a thief or a black mage or a white mage or whatever. And that made it feel like a big step up from many other RPGs of the era, especially when I think about the first Dragon Warrior, which was like, you are one dude and here's all you can do. <laughs> Go grind for five hours. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of grinding in Final Fantasy 1 on NES, but at least it's like, well, I've got a party of four characters of my choosing. That makes things a whole lot more interesting. Yeah, and it definitely felt a little limited with the, uh, you know, character development, obviously, because there were no characters. You just kind of, like, pick your four randos and go. Yep, yep. Uh, it was very vanilla in that regard. At the same time, it's still, you know, there was definitely, a, you know, a mission. I felt compelled to try to beat it. Yeah, I mean, for its day, it was fairly epic, I guess you would say. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, there was also that shocker in the middle where you, you know, you grow up or you get buffer and they become like advanced versions of themselves. And that was pretty uh, revolutionary for its time. Yeah, totally. However, for me, it was really in the next generation of systems where Final Fantasy came into its own with Final Fantasy 4, or as it was called over here, Final Fantasy 2. You know, that arrived on Super Nintendo fairly early on. It was a big step up over its 8-bit predecessors. It gave us some real emotion to the characters and told some really compelling story arcs, especially about the friendship between some of the characters, the relationship between Cecil and Kane, the relationship between them and Rosa, Cecil's evolution from uh, Dark Knight, and I don't mean Batman, <laughs> into a paladin, yep. and of course also gave us the Spoonie Bard, and uh, lots of other great memorable characters. Yeah, it also gave us dragoons, and... It starts with a pretty intense subject matter, really. You know, I mean, like I think the dragoons are there, like burning down a village, if I remember right. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really say it that explicitly, but you know, after you play it once or twice, you realize, yeah, you're actually kind of the bad guys at the beginning of this game. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was a pretty different and deep story, and uh, yeah, it really makes the game stand out quite a bit. I felt like the graphics were still kind of meh in <laughs> this first SNES release, but uh, other than that, yeah, it was a stellar game. And you got your first airship with Mode 7, I mean. Oh, yes, this is true. Which kind of blows your mind if you're 11. <laughs> now, Final Fantasy V is an interesting case because that one got skipped on the Super NES. And it didn't even make its way to North America until many years later when it arrived on the PlayStation 1. And 
Then, a few years after that, it came to Nintendo Systems on Game Boy Advance as Final Fantasy V Advance. And, I don't know, Pete, have you ever played this one that much? No, I haven't. I was going to ask you, uh, why do you think it didn't make it? Uh, I mean, that's a tough one. You, know, you never know why a lot of those 16-bit RPGs didn't make it over. Probably just a lack of resources. I mean, it wasn't because it wasn't a good game, because it is a good game. But, you know, it's not quite as good as some people make it out to be. Like, you know... Because it didn't come out over here, some people who had played it were like, oh man, you guys are missing out on the best Final <laughs> Fantasy game. And that tends to happen to games that you know aren't readily available. Yep. So, I mean, the reality was, it was still a very good game. It was kind of overhyped because of that. But what was cool was that it had a great job system. And it wasn't the first time there was a job system. There was also a job system in Final Fantasy III. But, uh, you know, obviously this was a huge step up over Final Fantasy III. It you know, let you choose between a myriad of job classes and you could just spend hours and hours leveling up each job and being able to gain all these different abilities and then mix and match abilities and use that to your advantage. So it had some really, really cool ideas. The problem with the U.S. version of this game, though, was that the PlayStation translation was just not very good. (laughs) And man, I spent a ton of time with that game despite the translation being very iffy. But the Game Boy Advance translation is way, way, way better. And unfortunately, I've never had a chance to sit down and play all the way through that version of the game. But man, I would love to if I had the time because cool job system, way improved translation. I'd love to be able to spend the time and like spend another 60 or 70 hours playing through that if I could. That's for sure. You and me both. And then after that, we arrive at Final Fantasy VI, which of course, was known as Final Fantasy III over here originally, but this was the game that really turned me into a fan. I had just dabbled in the other ones before, like I had played four, I'm like, okay, this is not bad. I played one, I was like, okay, I'm not ready for RPGs yet, and <laughs> put it away, and never wanted to play it again. But this was the game that turned me into a Final Fantasy fan and RPG fan in general. Like, finally, I thought the visuals were detailed enough to match the gameplay and the storytelling and the settings. And I just saw this game and I knew it was the game for me. I mean, aside from the great visuals, it had excellent characters. And as we talked about before, obviously the music was fantastic. I love the fact that each character had a unique skill and a strong personality. And it was just tons of fun to assemble a party based on how you wanted to play. You had your soldier or thief or martial artist. Yep. Or swordsman, or sage, or a ninja. Spoonie bard. Not, not in this game. <laughs> Sorry, that was that. Final Fantasy IV. That's right. But you know, the one that would excite you the most, I imagine, was the fact you could even play as a yeti. Oh yes, exactly. Or a sasquatch, as they called him, but it's a yeti. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty unique. Yeah, and of course the bad guys are fantastic too. As I mentioned before, Kefka, one of the all-time greats, and then that whole idea of the two different worlds—the world of balance and the world of ruin—was just really intriguing, really well done, and provides some amazing storytelling, the likes of which you would pretty much never seen at that point in time. So, yeah, that was absolutely uh, one of the most phenomenal games I'd ever played back in that day. Well, and who can forget the opera? That's right. That's right. Moments like that, all kinds of memorable moments in that game. Absolutely. But again, uh, you know, very dark theme in that game. And, uh, you know, for its time, it's uh, kind of a departure from everything else going on on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, very much pushing the envelope. But yeah, after that, the series, you know, went off in a different direction. By that, I mean away from Nintendo systems and over to Sony. You know, we went into the 3D polygonal era 
And, uh, you know, finally, it's only now that we are getting those games on Nintendo systems. Final Fantasy VII has finally arrived. And Pete, you never played that game back in the day, right? No, I never did. I think I was weirdly hopeful it would come out for a Nintendo 64 at some point. <laughs> well, it didn't make it to Nintendo 64, but your patience has finally paid off 20 <laughs> plus years later. It is finally on Nintendo hardware. So I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this game now that you're finally playing it. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think I've heard from some people that if you played the earlier Final Fantasies, then, you know, three is your favorite or sorry, six. And then I've also heard people say that if you started playing Final Fantasy with seven, then seven's probably your favorite. Well, I certainly like both of them myself. I think for me, I am more partial to the sprite based you know, earlier stuff in Final Fantasy. That being said, Final Fantasy VII really has a lot of things going for it. And, you know, the characters are all kind of chubby and wonky. and <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, the graphics don't really hold up that well, especially those uh, field character models. Yeah, you look at Cloud in the game, and then you look at him in Smash Brothers, you, you're almost hard-pressed to tell it's the same person. <laughs> I mean, when you're in battle, at least, the graphics do look pretty good. That's when you're true. not in battle, it's like, yikes. Yeah, they're pretty pretty chubby uh super deformed <laughs> yeah for sure but the uh, you know the again super dark subject matter you're blowing up reactors in the very beginning and i can already tell that uh, the game has got a lot of story going on and much deeper than meets the eye oh yeah there is a lot of lore but that's what's great you kind of get lost in it you kind of fall in love with the characters you want to fall in love with and mm -hmm. i can already tell that yeah i want to uh play it to completion yeah i love cloud i love tifa i love barrett love uh Red 13, yeah, it's a great cast in there. Yeah, ba sure. Barrett's awesome. Have you gotten to see Barrett in a sailor costume yet? <laughs> uh, nope. All right, well, please look forward to it. Uh, if you're teasing me, I'm going to be very angry. <laughs> uh, I guess you'll find out. I really like his dialogue. Don't give me no back talk, sucker. <laughs> Is that how he said it? Uh, that's pretty close. Anyway, there were some other great games on PlayStation as well. I think the Final Fantasy VIII is excellent. It kind of gets a bad rap, and I sort of get that because the treatment of spells as limited-use items and the junction and draw systems can be kind of tedious. And I suppose if I were in charge of remaking that game, I would change it so they would be a little bit more traditional. But I think the characters and story make it well worth putting up with some of the inconveniences of the gameplay. Also, Final Fantasy VIII... I believe, has my all-time favorite game ending ever. Oh? Do tell. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything. It's been a long time since I played it, but it was very lengthy, very pretty, and uh, very satisfying. I swear it was like, you know, 20-plus minutes long. It was pretty great. Now, it's weird. That's the only one not coming to Switch so far. <laughs> yes, yes. And it really does get a mixed reaction from people. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Yeah, I would love to see it on the system just to sort of complete the collection, as it were. Totally. But then uh, Final Fantasy IX was sort of a return to form. It was much more traditional Final Fantasy, whereas Final Fantasy VIII was kind of realistic and you know very experimental. Final Fantasy IX put the fantasy back in and uh, you know returned to some of the more classic traditions of the series. And I haven't played it in forever, but I do remember having a blast back at the time. I have not picked up the Switch version yet. Have you? I did, but I was kind of more saving myself for Final Fantasy VII. I don't know why I felt like I need to play them in order, because they don't really have a story that's coherent. But Yeah, for the most part. But yeah, I think um, I will play it after seven. All right. Yeah, it is a very good game. You should uh, look forward to that one, too. But then beyond that, 
We had the games that came out on PlayStation 2. Of course, we already talked about Final Fantasy X and X-2 extensively earlier in the show. Final Fantasy XI was an online MMO, which I don't think I played at all or just a very tiny bit. And then we have Final Fantasy XII, which has always been a personal favorite of mine, that is coming out on Switch in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this one, I think. Yeah, Final Fantasy XII has always been really special to me for a couple of reasons. One of those being that I actually got to travel to Japan and go to the unveiling and see everything firsthand and just see people's reactions, see how Square was presenting the game and showing it off and just getting to take in this world and these characters and see how ambitious and detailed they were. And, you know, the characters are some of the deepest in the series. So getting to witness that has always been you know, very special to me. But then beyond that, I also got to write the cover story on the DS exclusive sequel, which was Final Fantasy XII Revenant Wings. And you know that was a real-time strategy game of sorts instead of a traditional Final Fantasy game. But it just further endeared me to the world and the characters. And so I just you know, really fell in love with Vaughn and Ash and Balthier and Bosch. And uh, one of your favorites, of course, I know is uh, Pinelo, right? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> it's Pinello, but I do remember back at NP when we were covering that game, you were calling her Pinello. <laughs> uh, that does sound like something I might do. <laughs> and a shout out to Fran. I don't want to leave Fran out either. She's cool as well. And, you know, it's interesting. There was, it looks like there was like a five year gap between Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy twelve. Well, it certainly did take its sweet time coming out. I mean, you know, there was 10-2 in the meantime. There was also 11 in the meantime. So it wasn't, you know, that crazy to be far apart. I mean, we did get three, or even more if you count 10-2, Final Fantasy games on a single system, which is sort of how the tradition has been. So it's not quite as wonky as it sounds. But you can understand why it took such a long time in development, because it really was sort of a huge transition point for the series. Again, like Final Fantasy X, there was no world map, but there were also no more random battles. Battles, you know, would simply break out when you encountered an enemy on the field, and they played out kind of like in an MMO, with the characters just automatically attacking, and you didn't have to input every command. And a huge part of the game is acquiring these things called gambits, which are basically the commands that let you customize your party member's AI. And... It was kind of weird to think, well, you know, shouldn't those just all be in there automatically? Can I just, you know, rely on those and make the AI the way I want it to be? Well, I suppose that could have been one way to do it. But once you get all these gambits and learn how to use them and master them, you really can do, you know, pretty much anything you want with just the AI setup. And uh, they do end up being very, very useful. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't really played this one much. So, uh, you know, I am really looking forward to picking this one up on Switch. Yeah, and another great thing about it is that it is part of the Evilese Alliance series, which is sort of the Square Enix sub-series that also includes games like Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story. It just has a ton of deep lore that, you know, sort of connects these games together and goes beyond your traditional Final Fantasy settings. And, you know, this game is no different, just overflowing with complex stories and political intrigue. And there is a lot more going on than in your typical good versus evil type of plots. You know, unfortunately, I've always kind of felt that the story in Final Fantasy XII 
does go a little bit off the rails about 75% of the way through, <laughs> but that really does not diminish my appreciation of this game or its characters or its setting or its story. And again, I admit to being a little biased just because of the way I was introduced to the game, but I'm about to buy the game for the third time when it comes out on Switch, and I'm not going to have any regrets about it. Uh, this Zodiac edition does add some new job system elements that the original PS2 game didn't have. It allows you to make each character more distinct. You know, in some ways that makes things tougher, but I certainly do appreciate the characters having more differentiation and specialization in a game like they do with the uh, Zodiac job system. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing this one again. Wow, you're really trying to sell this one to me. <laughs> no, I hope so. Uh, I, I actually do think I will pick this one up. Well, it definitely is cool if people give it a chance. However, I will say that Final Fantasy kind of lost some of its appeal for me after that one. I felt like Final Fantasy XIII was a big misstep, and then Final Fantasy XIV was another MMO that I tried to play but just really couldn't get into. And then Final Fantasy XV I haven't actually even played yet, although it does seem much more like an action game than its predecessors. You know, I'm not going to judge it until I've played it, and I definitely do plan to play it eventually. But uh, yeah, it seems to have lost a lot of the elements that really made Final Fantasy Final Fantasy in the past. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. Have you played that one? Uh, I have not, but, uh, you know, the boy band in the car, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what I know. Yeah, it seems to be quite the road trip. <laughs> nice. However, there are you know, lots of other Final Fantasy games that are you know, worth talking about and worth playing. All kinds of spinoffs. Pete, what are some of your favorite Final Fantasy spinoffs that are not part of the mainline Final Fantasy series? Well, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance was really fun. Oh yeah, I was hoping you'd say that one. Yeah, that definitely was a standout on the Game Boy Advance. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I hardly remember that one, but I do remember it was quite an enjoyable game. It was definitely one of my first forays into like the Tactics-style game. I know there was a, an earlier Final Fantasy Tactics on PlayStation, but yep. never played that one. Hmm. I also really like the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles series. Yeah, yeah. Now that we've got all these other Final Fantasy games you know, pretty much out on the system, that's kind of the big one that's remaining. We're supposed to be getting that remake of the original Crystal Chronicles coming out sometime this year. Now we're just kind of waiting to get an official release date on that one, huh? Yep. And then taking a step back, I remember the uh, Final Fantasy Adventures games for uh, Game Boy. Oh, yeah. I mean technically i don't think those are really part of the final <laughs> fantasy series oh, they definitely but it's weren't. got final fantasy in the name so uh i'll give it a buy <laughs> they definitely were not and they feel nothing like the other games but yeah anyways the original game boy final fantasies were all pretty interesting games in their own right <laughs> yeah i don't think i ever really spent much time with those you know, as i've kind of implied the graphics and stuff were kind of a big hook for me and getting me into rpgs i sort of had to reach a certain point before i'm like okay i can finally deal with this now and i hadn't quite reached that when we were playing you know black and green game boy games <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally i also kind of got into the um this goes really off the deep end here but the final fantasy crystal chronicles my life is a king on the oh wow on Wii. Oh, wow, that's definitely a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It just kind of captured my attention, and uh, I found myself you know, addicted for a little while. Yep, I can totally see that. Kind of reminded me of a mobile app before mobile apps. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
for me, I would say that my favorite Final Fantasy spinoff is probably Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy, which, you know, as the name implies, is indeed a music game. And you have to follow lines and swipe and tap according to the music. <laughs> and like we were saying, you know, the Final Fantasy games have some really, really great music. And so, I mean, how can you go wrong, really? You know, I've never bought that game. I just played the demo and I did like it. I just thought, you know, I don't know if I'll actually play this much. Yeah, you should definitely pick it up. I mean, especially if you're a big fan of Final Fantasy music. Cool. It was uh, very well made, and it was the first chance for a lot of these characters to be on Nintendo system. Like, I think that probably was the first time that we were able to see characters like Cloud and Squall and Vaughn on Nintendo hardware. Because, you know, even though their full adventures weren't out on Nintendo systems at that time, they were incorporated into theater rhythm, and you could, you know, make a party with all these different heroes in there and listen to that music, see all those cutscenes, and lots of great stuff in there. So, yeah, if you like rhythm games at all, I would definitely recommend that one. Cool. Now, before we wrap up this big topic, Pete, can you just go down your list? What are your favorite Final Fantasy games in order? Well, Chris, you certainly have more Final Fantasy history than I do. But I have to mention Final Fantasy VI as being okay. probably the standout of at least the games I've played. And then Final Fantasy IV being also a very close, I don't know if it's a second, but it's definitely right up there with making an impact in my life as I got into RPGs. Your life as a king? My life as a Dark Lord. <laughs> I honestly don't really feel comfortable going deeper than that. I could go, you know, OG Final Fantasy, but it's mainly from like a nostalgic point of view. You know, I'm just not as familiar with the newer ones, but, uh, you know, the Switch has given me a good opportunity to get into them. Indeed, indeed. Very good point. What about you then, Mr. Final Fantasy? All right. Well, I certainly can't fault you with your first pick. I, too, would say that Final Fantasy VI is my favorite. After that, I'm going to go with Final Fantasy VII, then Final Fantasy IX, then Final Fantasy XII, then Final Fantasy VIII, then Final Fantasy X, and man, I feel really bad with these next two, like they feel like they're coming so far in the rankings, but then Final Fantasy V, and then Final Fantasy IV. Those will be my top eight Final Fantasy games. After that, it would be like, you know, one and two and three and 13. And then maybe Mystic Quest. <laughs> well, I wasn't counting those spinoffs. In fact, if I put <laughs> ten two into the mix, that would probably come right after twelve or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's my ranking: uh, six, seven, nine, twelve, eight, ten, five, four. At least that is today. I might be in a different mood tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> I'm saying that's pretty solid. Man, you're making me look bad with my paltry two. <laughs> uh, well, I'm your nemesis. That's my job. <laughs> well, I do like all the Final Fantasies that I've played. I just don't get to play them as much as I'd like to these days. Yeah, I mean, it really is crazy that we're getting so many Final Fantasy titles right now. I mean, I started playing 7, and I'm only like, I don't know, 10 hours into that, and then here's 10, and here's 10 <laughs> too at the exact same time, and then here's 12 two weeks later. I mean, I want to just take a vacation. I need to, like, take a year off I so I can play through all these, but uh, that's not going to happen. I'm hoping I break a leg or something. <laughs> well, I hope you break a leg too. Hey, but, no. uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's just ridiculous how much good stuff we're getting, you know, playable on Nintendo systems for the first time. It's amazing. It's a fantastic time to be a Final Fantasy fan, especially if you are into those, uh, you know, PlayStation era, PlayStation 2 era games that we never got previously. So yeah, so much good stuff, such a great series, and there's never been a better time to enjoy them on Nintendo hardware. So yes, if you are an RPG fan, it is an embarrassment of riches. 
And with that in mind, I do believe that wraps up this week's big topic. And that means it is time to bring this week's episode of the podcast to a close. However, before we do that, we do have time for one more thing. And that is, as you might have guessed, a dramatic reading. <laughs> Knew it. This time, it is from the eShop description of the Switch game, Sudoku Relax. A healing system, Sudoku, that has a pleasant effect when the numbers are complete. The familiar Sudoku has become a healing game. A total of 300 questions on easy, normal, and hard difficulty have been recorded. You will be healed with game effects and background music while you're undressing. The background effect and BGM will unlock as you clear the problem. There are three background effects and three tracks of BGM. <laughs> it is possible to interrupt even time-consuming problems. You can play continuously anytime and anywhere. It supports touch operation. Like a smartphone app, you can play casually with touch operation. That's it? Yeah, that's it. And to be honest, that's more than enough as far as I'm concerned. I'm already creeped out because they're apparently trying to do something to us while we're undressing. And <laughs> that I find to be very unsettling. I don't think I've ever seen BGM written in a game description. Hmm. Yeah, I think I probably have before, but I am certain that I have not heard about a game healing me while I'm taking my clothes off or anything <laughs> like that. To be honest, I really don't want to think about it. Why, why does it even say that? I'm curious. I have no idea what that means. I mean, you might think, oh, maybe this is one of those games where it, you know, displays pictures of scantily clad people as you solve the puzzles. No, the game isn't even like that. I have no idea what it's trying to convey. So <laughs> I don't know. Pete, go out and buy this game, download it, check it out, and let me know. It just came out uh, today as we record this. So uh, if you experience it, uh, be sure to let me know what it's all about. Or, or don't, just... Don't tell me, because I'm kind of creeped out as it is. <laughs> uh, me too. All right, then. In that case, I do believe that does it for us for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com for any reason, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad, Kupo, and our resident summoner, Yuna. So what's next? We will see you next time. Do 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 do